Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 291, Best of Eagle Griffin Games. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, here we are again. And once again, we are talking about one of our favorite companies of all time eagle griffin games yes sir we are yeah this is always fun kind of going through all the best of the best games from our personal perspective uh from our favorite publishers and so this week eagle griffin uh, and some of these are more recent some of them are a little bit older kind of a, a little mishmash of different kind of stuff here with some surprises that you guys will soon see absolutely so we'll be talking about those games in our feature review so be sure to listen to that. But before we get into that, Anthony, there is so much that's going on with BGA itself. Why don't you bring us up to date with BGA Live? BGA Live. So we launched this last week on Wednesday, uh, September 9th at 8.30 p.m. And it will now be running every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. on Board Game Arena's Twitch and simulcasting on our own Twitch stream. So how this works is we put on a live show once a week. It's about an hour, hour and a half long, where we play through some of the best of the best, newest of the newest games on Board Game Arena. Last week, we played The Voyages of Marco Polo, which is still in beta. This week, uh, on the day you're listening to this, actually, episode two is going to be going up with Potion Explosion and Santorini. We're going to be playing through both of those, uh, or at least watching other people play through and commenting on their games and discussing you know, everything that makes these games great, why you should check them out, why we're so interested in them. We're also obviously talking about everything that's going on in the week in board games, everything that's going on with us, uh, bringing some of the segments here from the podcast in, a little bit of a twist on them. Very, very fun to interact with everybody in the chat live. That's something we don't normally get to do when we record this podcast. So if you are free on Wednesdays at 8.30, specifically this Wednesday, today, that you're listening to this, we will be live on Twitch for a good chunk of time, and we'd love for you to join us. Hop in the chat, leave your comments, ask your questions, make jokes about Star Trek, all the fun things. And uh, yeah, it's a blast. So uh, we're very excited. It was a really, really solid, really fun first episode premiere we did last week. And yeah, this week we're going to do it again. It's going to be even bigger, even better. So make sure you join us. So Anthony, if someone's not able to make it at 830 Eastern Standard Time, they can still see the live streams, right? Those are still available. Yes, sir. Yeah, they are available recorded on the uh, Board Game Arena Twitch, uh, twitch.com slash boardgamearena. We also, again, simulcast it to our own, so you can check it out at twitch.com slash BGA podcast. And then one week after every episode goes up, I'm going to post it to YouTube. So uh, episode one is going to be going up on YouTube this Wednesday and then so forth and so on for the foreseeable future. So if you prefer to watch on YouTube and watch you know, your subscriptions there, if you're already subscribed to us on YouTube, those episodes will be going up um, starting this week. So you can check out last week's episode. Yeah, so if you haven't already, obviously you liked and subscribed on all of our social media platforms. And now we're on Twitch. So be sure to go to twitch.com and subscribe to Board Game Arena and BGA Podcast. This way you'll be notified when everything pops up. Or, of course, as you're playing games on Board Game Arena... At that time, 8.30 p.m. on this Wednesday, 
then you'll be able to see us right there. But please jump onto Twitch so that you can interact with us. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with us and BGA Live. Let's talk about what's going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week? Okay, so the question of the week this week came from a little bit of news that y'all might have seen. Hero Quest is coming back. The what? It, like this keeps happening, like every year or two. One of these games that people are like, "It's never happening. You're never going to see this game. They're not bringing it back." Hero Quest is in fact coming back. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this has been a Grail game for so many people for so long. Not just the reprint of this, but the gameplay of it. And in fact. Something I didn't know because this was never one of my Grail games. Never got a chance to play it as a kid. But supposedly this has the most wondrous furniture in a board game that there's ever been. So for just that alone, I got to check this out. <laughs> I didn't know about the furniture. I'll have to check that out too. So yeah, Hasbro is bringing back Hero Quest. Uh, same time we got the news that Hasbro is picking up the Avalon Hill line. Uh, Wizards will no longer be running that. So we'll, maybe we'll see some other stuff coming back. Who knows? But to that end, I asked everybody, what's another old game that's yet to be rebooted that you'd like to see? Um, we're kind of running out of the big ones, right? We've got Fireball Island now. We have Dark Tower. Uh, the Kickstarter was finished sure. and is shipping at some point in the future. Um, now we have Hero Quest coming. So what is another older, super-duper, mega-out-of-print game, either from your childhood or just that you're excited about or wish you could play again? that you want to come back. So we got a few good answers here. Scott mentioned Mousetrap or maybe Torpedo Run. I think a modern version of Mousetrap that actually works would be pretty cool. That was one of those games that it always seemed cool. You'd set it up and it would break halfway through because the pieces were so cheap. So it, it was not, it was always anticlimactic to try to play that game, but like a, a version that works, awesome. Timothy mentions Dungeon Quest, Warlock of Firetop Mountain, Electronic Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeon Dice, Key to the Kingdom. Uh, somebody had a big box of games when they were a kid. I, I haven't heard of half of these, but I'm sure they're all great. Uh, Andre mentions Magic Sword, which was a ripoff of Talisman. Applying modern mechanisms for movement would make the game like a must-buy for him. And then he admits, maybe it's just nostalgia. <laughs> I, think, I think all these are just nostalgia to some degree. Drew mentions life, uh, but ironically. Uh, he says there's a bunch of old games he played when he was younger. You know, Stop Thief was one of them, but that one's obviously been remade by Restoration Games. I think there's a bunch of stuff out there that is probably already in the works, and we just don't know about it, so it's hard to talk about it. But, you know, things like HeroScape that have been out of print for 20 years but have kind of come back with, like, the Magic the Gathering uh, version that lasted all of six months. The Star Wars game, uh, The Queen's Gambit, that's been out of print now since episode one came out and they have like kind of a super boiled down basic version of that in star Wars risk that came out a couple years ago. That would be cool to get like the big monster version out against, so you don't spend 500 bucks on eBay. I don't know that I had a ton of games when I was a kid that really hit this mm -hmm. Stratego was a game I really liked. I know you could still buy that, but like a modern version that kind of implements newer rules would be kind of cool. Sure. Um, but it's more of an abstracty. I don't know. It's, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I would have said, three years ago is already coming yeah i think again there was a time not so long ago that there were grail games and they were always going to be grail games and you know that's just the way it was you were going to pay several hundred dollars for these <laughs> and maybe get a beaten up copy at some place and love it to the ends of the earth 
now it does seem, especially with Restoration Games, that all the games that you played as a kid will get a reboot. I know for me, I've seen almost every game that I played as a kid that I thought I'd never see again, like uh, Catapults and uh, Crossbows came out, and uh, Dark Tower obviously was a, a big one that I, I'm still shocked that actually came out. I, I guess the only ones that are really kind of out of the way are probably the really obscure ones that maybe just like it culturally doesn't count anymore. I mean, one of the fun things my sister had as a kid was uh, Mole Madness. I remember playing that with her as a kid and it was just about, you know, roll a move and trying to get everything you need. It was kind of like Clue in that way, which was a little weird. I guess another one, which I always thought was going to come back just because of the mechanism was trouble because you had the mm. pop-o-matic bubble and i'm like why is this not in a modern board game i mean like you would think that of course this is going to be in a board game at some point it still has not made it through i think as you mentioned anthrakiko was one of my favorite games as well i think pretty much everything else has kind of gotten electronic treatment to it along the way but I don't know. Maybe there'll be something that they dig out from the archives. Maybe something with an IP that we've clearly forgotten about. Uh, Stop Thief was obviously one that I had. I played at my cousin's house. I guess probably the biggest one that I never played was Heroescape. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was just like an endless n- amount of plastic. And then like almost an endless number of different IPs and such. And I was like, oh that's that looks a lot of fun why did i not buy all of those things back when i was a kid (laughs) so if you want to bring that out that's great although i think the ips would probably kill you oh my gosh yeah i kept the magic the gathering ones like i got Uh like the like the expansion boxes for like five bucks or something on clearance (laughs) and i just kept them all because i'm like well i don't know these things go out of print they never come back the game's supposedly good i haven't played it i just have all this stuff because i got it for you know a few bucks i figured maybe the kids will play with it they don't care but I do have that stuff down there, so someday, someday I'll play it. Someday the day will come that you need multiple levels of plastic terrain, and you'll be ready for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's what's going on with our listeners out there. If you'd like to join in, and we would love to hear from you, please hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Anthony and I have separate email accounts, so it's either Chris or it's Anthony at BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Surprise us with an email there. Obviously, Twitch, which is, of course, a new thing now. Please subscribe up there. And definitely like us on a a little place or subscribe to us on a little place called YouTube because we have videos up there and there's going to be a lot more stuff. So you really want to subscribe there because the content is going to be coming out quick and fast and you want to keep up because we're doing live every week. It's going to be the only show out there, so please check in with us. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we wanted to table eventually, whether it's now or has to be reprinted by Restoration Games a long time ago. Uh, What do you have up for us this week? All right, I have a little game that I stumbled across on Kickstarter. And this Kickstarter actually ends on Thursday, September 17th. So if you're listening to this on release day... It's tomorrow. So if it sounds interesting, make sure you go check it out. It is funded, but just barely. Like, I had a $20,000 goal. They're at 42 right now with a couple days left. It is called Deck of Wonders. They bill it as a solo legacy card game. So 
that might be the reason that I kind of uh, skipped over it and didn't notice it because legacy card game. I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> the, I see the legacy word on anything these days, and I'm I'm wary to, to say the least. But the game itself looks actually very interesting. It is a solo or two player card game, which a lot of solo games are. You can play them with two. And in it, you have cards that have two sides to them. Some of them will apply to the villain that you're trying to, to defeat, and some will apply to you. You will build your deck from the base collection of cards uh, based on which villain you're facing. There are three villains in the game. And then you will put that deck in the middle, and that deck is used for both the villain and the player side. So you'll draw cards from there that you'll use, but also the powers on them for the villain will be visible as you draw the cards out. So it's kind of a really cool, interesting mechanic where you have these cards that flip upside down and then do something different, which has been done in other ways, but anytime you have multi-use cards like this, it's pretty cool. The game plays relatively quickly. There's a demo up on uh, Tabletop Simulator, so kind of got a chance to run through that and see how it works. Um, the artwork is really interesting and colorful. It's, you know, it's kind of your standard fantasy fare, but it, it's consistent throughout, which is interesting. Developer describes it as kind of like a, a solo take on... Uh, like a digital card game like Hearthstone or something, uh, or Magic the Gathering Arena, uh, where you are trying to puzzle out how to defeat this villain or boss, which if you've played Hearthstone, I haven't played it recently, but I know for a while there they had, like, you'd have a boss which had all different mechanics and you had to figure out basically how to defeat them, like what was their quirk, what kind of cards were going to come out of their deck and how to knock them off, um, often against in what seemed like insurmountable odds. So it seems to kind of draw from that a little bit at least. And then the legacy component is that you will unlock new cards and powers and various things that you can put into your decks as you move along and face new villains. So it seems pretty cool. I don't, you know, I kind of regret not noticing it earlier, so I could have told you guys about it before. But I think I'm going to back it because it's, you know, a pretty inexpensive solo game. I think it's $30 or so with like 200 cards in the in the box. It does not ship for a while. But there is a print and play if you want to pick it up sooner uh, and, you know, just make a version at home. And then it is on Tabletop Simulator as well with a demo, so you can try it out there. So that is Deck of Wonders from Furia Games. I believe it's their first game. And uh, you can check that out on Kickstarter right now through the end of uh, tomorrow. So hurry up. All right. So that's all the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table. And we'll let you know if those games are a buy, and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, and you should sit down and enjoy them. If those games are a dodge, and you should avoid them at all costs. Or if those games are, in fact, the dreaded burn, then you should burn them. And then hopefully, like a phoenix, they'll come back in a much better form many years later. All right, Anthony, so what did you get to the table or the tablet this week? All right, yeah, so I got a chance to play uh, The Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth Shadowed Paths Expansion. Subtitle, subtitle, subtitle. So <laughs> this is the first big box expansion for Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth, which is kind of the mashup between the Descent engine and the Mansions of Madness engine uh, that Fantasy Flight put out last year with Lord of the Rings theming on top of it. I loved this game. It was one of my top five games of 2019. I played through the full campaign um, almost twice through. Actually, I played it through solo and then kind of my son helped me out a little bit as well. And it's just a really clever spin on this dungeon mechanics where you don't have dice, you don't have that randomness, you have a deck of cards, which you can kind of manipulate and play with and build up throughout the campaign. Really, really cool. 
Uh, I know some people are turned off by this because it is an app-based game, um, like Mansions of Madness 2.0, like a lot of the stuff in Descent or Imperial Assault is, if you want to play that solo. So if that's not for you, then this game is definitely not for you. But I don't mind, and so I love it. This is the first big box expansion. They had like one little tiny expansion, and they've had a couple digital expansions adding additional content there. So this is the first one where you get new figures, like all new stuff. And so therefore, it is expensive, um, as one would expect. Um, there's a lot of plastic in the box. But you do get a lot of cool new stuff that wasn't in the base, right? One of the things people said about that base game is that it didn't have enough recognizable locations or villains or enemies. It was a pretty generic story you were going through, like following these orcs around. And there was a troll, but honestly, most of the time, you would just run away from the troll because that thing would destroy you if you tried to fight it. So not the best uh, in terms of that. Like if you wanted the Lord of the Rings lore, it wasn't the best game for that. This one is a little bit more in that line for what people are looking for. Um, first off, you get new characters. You have Gandalf, Eleanor, Arwen, uh, Balin, and Dis. So a couple new dwarves, couple, or I got one of the new elves. And then Gandalf, of course, who is missing from the base game. Everybody wanted Gandalf. Here he is. You also get to go directly into Mirkwood, like the very first scenario. You're in Mirkwood fighting spiders. So then when you drop all that plastic out of the box, you know what you're going to fight because there's a bunch of spiders. <laughs> so um, if you missed that in the, in the original game or really any Lord of the Rings game, it's in this one. There's also scenarios to go into the Mines of Moria. So again, like more of the lore that people are familiar with from the movies, from the books, and not directly engage with those things. But anytime you have a Balrog miniature, like this big beefy massive thing sitting there and you know it's going to come up at some point that's cool like i just pull that out of the box i'm like oh we gotta get we gotta get to this right i am playing with the kids so it's a little slow going we're not like cruising through the content yet there's a lot to get through and we can only really do like one at a time realistically uh before they get bored but it's been a lot of fun like some of the new mechanics are interesting uh some of the new tweaks to like how you deal with things that are underground or how you deal with like new types of enemy like the spiders have some interesting stuff in terms of like how they web you up so it's fun it's definitely more of the same like overall mechanically the mechanical tweaks are pretty slight most of the new stuff here is in the the story content i think it's 13 new scenarios or so uh in the box or in the app i should say and then like 20 or so new miniatures in the box um but it's all good stuff. Like, if you really like the base game, this is just more of that. And probably a little bit more in line with the lore that you're looking for, right? If you have never played before, then obviously you should go check out the base game before you can't even go anywhere near the expansion. You do need the base game to play the expansion because this doesn't come with all the cards you need. Um, there's like three or 400 cards you need to play the game. And this does not have those. This will have the new character cards and the new enemy cards and some new stuff to put in the main decks, but that's about it. So I would say if you own uh, Journeys of Middle-Earth, this is a no-brainer. Pick it up. It's a buy. If you have not played any of this before or if you're like iffy on app games, definitely see if you know anybody who has it and try it out first. It's for a specific type of gamer, so I, I'm wary of giving like a blanket recommendation. But for me, it's one of my favorite games of last year. So highly recommended for those who are into that kind of thing. That is the Journeys of Middle-Earth Shadow Paths expansion.
All right, so that's everything that hit our tables and our tablets this week. Now, on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the best of Eagle Griffin Games. Eagle Griffin Games has been around for quite some time and produced so many fantastic games and especially is responsible for bringing so many fantastic games over to North America in particular. So we've been really thankful about their games that they directly produced, but so many, many, many more games that are not going to be on our list that they brought over that you might even have as part of your collection. So Anthony, what's your thoughts and feelings about uh, Eagle Griffin games? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting company. They've released a lot of stuff over the years and like going through this list, I didn't realize how many games they just brought over, like, like what stronghold would do and just, go get the license, bring it here. And they didn't necessarily originally publish it, but they brought it to the North America when nobody else would. So you get games that you wouldn't necessarily have gotten otherwise, which is cool. I don't think we're talking about any of those. I think all the ones we're talking about are like their originals. Yes. But there's a bunch of other stuff on this list that could go under there, which is pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Um, the, uh, the obvious, the elephant in the room <laughs> from Eagle Griffin, which could have just been the whole list, is Vital Lacerda. I believe all but one of his games, I think, have been printed by Eagle Griffin, and almost all of them have been like the big deluxe boxes that you can get on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. of which I think both of us have almost all of. So he, he's kind of our Hall of Fame entry this time around, because like if you, if you ask me my favorite Eagle Griffin games, it's just the Talaserdas games down a list. It's just great that they do that. And we get these massive, fantastic productions of some of the best euros out there. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we should really just mention again and again, that when you do get games from Eagle Griffin, whether it's on Kickstarter or it's a direct release, these are high quality productions. And these are great games. As you mentioned, just like cornering the market on Lacerda is brilliant. So because those games are so brilliant, we're going to put that in the Hall of Fame because you can't possibly list out all of the games no. <laughs> just there. You know, Eagle Griffin's been around a while. They've been Eagle games. They've been Griffin games. They've merged and produced a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. There's been the Bookshelf series. I mean, there's a lot of great games in that series. And obviously, uh, the Railway series has been fantastic. Mm. So yeah. um, you see them at the conventions. They're always bringing high-quality productions to the table. This is long before, you know, it just became a normal thing. Like, oh, you got an Eagle Griff game? Ooh, that's that's really going to be a great game at the table. So a little-known company doesn't get the real kind of, like, presence like a Simon or Fantasy Flight, but they are a solid player, and we're really grateful for them. So, Anthony, let's go into our favorite games. Again, not talking Lacerda, because... He's already risen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and let's go from uh let's go from light, medium, and a super heavyweight, my friend. Yeah, so f- for me, first off, one of my favorite games of I guess last year, but I think it came out the year before. I just didn't wasn't able to get my hands on it until last year, was Fleet the Dice game. So th- they've released Eagle Griffin has released dozens of these small box games, right? The collection is like 30 something strong. But this is the first one that really, really caught my attention and became a game I had to own and absolutely love to play. A lot of Roll and Rights have come out in the last few years. This is one of the only ones that feels like a fully-fledged, legitimate game. 
like a gaming experience, right? It's not just like, oh, a quick filler we'll just do between something else. Like, no, this game takes like an hour. It's solid. Some decent, difficult decisions to make. It's fantastic. So in this one, you are taking all sorts of different types of actions over the course of 10 different rounds. You have a boat phase and a town phase in every round. The dice will rotate through based on, you know, who's the lead player and who's rolling the dice overall. And you're just essentially trying to fill out these different rows and columns of uh, fish based on the licenses that you picked up and then trying to basically maximize the bonuses you get by going in certain directions, which is what most roll and writes are. But in this case, because of the two different sheets of paper that you're working with and the like three or four different locations you can go, it becomes a much more thinky exercise. There's actual AP in this game in where you mark things off because it can influence your strategy going forward almost no roll and rights can accomplish that and this one does so fleet the dice game is such a fantastic game one of the best games in my opinion from ben pinchback and matt riddle and and probably one of the better eagle griffin games on the smaller side yeah for me on the smaller side as you mentioned anthony earlier that there is their like big collection of games 19 games and for me the one that really sticks out and obviously on the lightest scale this would be for sale. This is from 1997. This is from Stefan Dora. And basically what you're doing here is a game that I never really thought I would love, but I really enjoy. It's a small box game. You can get it just as a small box. You can get it as a travel version. And the idea of the game is you go into the game with this money to begin with, and your job is to pick up property. So you're purchasing properties that are for sale. What's really funny and interesting about the game is when you're picking up these actual properties, they run from a one all the way up to a 30. The one is literally a beaten up cardboard box and a 30 is a space station. So there's everything in between. The artwork is, you know, cartoony, not crazy cartoony, but it kind of evokes that idea of what you really are getting for your money. So it's an open bidding game. You bid, and then everyone keeps going until you get to the point where you decide to pass. You get half your money back, depending on where you're situated in, whether it's rounded up or down. depends on how you're deciding to play the game. And now you have a whole bunch of properties. But that's not the end of the game. What happens next is now you have to sell those properties based upon these money cards that come out. And this is really where the strategy comes into play, because obviously you didn't want to overpay for the properties to begin with, but now there's only, let's say, five monies available, and maybe there's some zeros in there, maybe there's some 15s, it runs from zero to 15. So what do you do at this point? What do you play? You want to make the maximum amount of money possible, but if you didn't get the best properties possible, it's not a big problem, because just based upon what you play and where you play it and when you play it is going to make all the difference in the world. So if you play smart, you can still win this game even though you don't have the best properties in the first round. It's quick. It's simple. It plays with everybody. It's a fantastic game. It's actually even on Board Game Arena. You can knock this out in like 10 minutes. And again, it's just a really fun light game that plays with everybody at the table all right next up for me is baseball highlights 2045 i bought this game off kickstarter uh without even knowing the rules because the concept is just batty 
<laughs> it's it's crazy good. This is a card game from Mike Fitzgerald, who's known for his card games, in which you are playing a game of baseball in the year 2045, in which you have robots, cyborgs, and quote-unquote naturals, people who don't have any enhancements. And the game is designed basically to simulate the highlight reel of a baseball game. So taking out all the chaff and the filler and the time that goes with a baseball game and boiling it down to very quick mini games in which players will alternate six cards, that's it, to simulate all the highlights of a game. So you will go through those, you'll play various defensive and offensive actions, and the single card you play will either help you put people on base or hopefully score or stop the other team from doing the same. The cool thing, though, is that the game itself, like the full game, is not just one of these mini games. It's multiple of these mini games. You put them together into a series, and as you play through, you will upgrade your cards. You'll get better players on your team based on how you perform. So you're building your deck throughout the game, but not like within each match, overall between the matches. So it's like a unique spin on deck building in a way that I had not seen before. It's highly interactive, of course, because it is baseball. So if somebody does something, you want to try to stop them from doing it. And that's how, how you're going to play the cards. The theme is insane, which I love. <laughs> it's just Somehow this manages to be the best baseball game that's also a science fiction game. It's just fantastic. And they've now taken this concept and applied it to football. Um, we have the football highlights game that came out not too long ago from the Kickstarter that ran last year. Baseball Highlights 2045 is one of my favorite games, period, and probably my favorite sports game. Um, it has a solo mode. It does play best at two, however, because it is designed as a one-on-one -on -one game. I think when you play with more than two, it's kind of a round-robin type of thing where you're playing through a tournament, um, which is it's still fun, but it just takes longer and you know not perfect. The game has a lot of complexity to it and how you build out your decks and how you fundamentally structure what you're going to do to take on the other team. And you can do all sorts of crazy stuff, too. Like, the base game comes with a certain number of teams and cards to, like, cycle in there, like, free agents and stuff. But there's dozens of extra expansions and promos and additional stuff you can pick up. You know, some of it's available online. Some of it's not. A lot of it was, like, convention stuff, which doesn't help anybody right now. But it is just such a fantastic take on sports and a clever spin on a game that is notoriously difficult to turn into a board game and highly recommended if you're looking for something in that vein so that's baseball highlights 2045 all right next up for me is a game that i've loved for quite some time and again another big surprising game from eagle griffin games this is rococo now, I could also talk about Rococo Deluxe, which was a recent Kickstarter that I backed with artwork from Ian O'Toole. But the brilliance of this game stands out, particularly from the designers here, uh, Matthias Kramer, Stefan Malls, Louis Malls. And again, the wondrous mechanics that go into play here. So when you look at the game, you're like, wow, this is a really wondrous, ornate time in history. We're talking about Louis XV in france and it was the height of fashion it was the height of ornate decorative structures and sculptures and yet fireworks and especially clothing so it came down to wondrous women's dresses and really fancy men's coats so you are providing all of this for the grand ball and for louis the 15th and as you're doing this throughout the game you're picking up special artisans 
So these artisans are cards that are added to your base deck. And as the game goes on, you'll be playing all of these artisans at some point. Each of them have different abilities. Each have like they can recruit or be able to purchase more fabric or they can build certain things or they get certain money or certain bonuses and things like that. So it is a bit of a deck builder. But again, having to actually use all the cards in your deck before you're able to pull everything back was a very different mechanic back in the day. And it still plays exceptionally well here. With the designer collection, it includes the expansion. So it's a jewelry box. So now you're crafting jewelry as well. And the game itself comes down to utilizing those cards to be able to get the resources and the ability to actually craft these dresses and dress coats and then place them in the ball. So when you place them in this grand ballroom, you're scoring victory points based upon area control. So it utilizes a lot of the great mechanics from so many other games, and it's really just a beautiful production and a fantastic game. It plays with up to five people. Four people typically is the best with this. And again, it's one of those games that keep you coming back and back to the table again in a thematic way that you would never think that you would be interested in here, but it really elevates the game to a higher level. That's Rococo and soon-to-be Rococo Deluxe. All right, so for me, this is a game that came out, ooh, I think right when we got into the hobby. And it was one of those bigger box, heavy-duty cardboard, solid components, the kind of game that we see all the time now, but wasn't released very often back then, and that is Francis Drake. This was uh, designed by Peter Hawes, and it was, I guess, kind of unexpected at the time. I remember a lot of people talking about it, and then it kind of faded away. Um, probably because of the cost it was decently expensive but this is a fantastic game that i've absolutely loved playing the problem that i end up having with it the reason i don't play it more often is just because it's very specific at like certain player count but the idea here is that you play the game over the course of three rounds and you are basically trying to load up on everything you need equip your expedition sail off to the caribbean and then while you're there conquer various towns defeat the spanish collect treasure and then come back and have the most of that, right? So not the, you know, it's slightly problematic theme, of course, being the age of exploration, but the mechanics are just very solidly built. You start each of these rounds with a phase in Plymouth, which is there's 18 spaces on this path, and you're going to be moving along here, getting different rewards uh, based on where you put your pieces. And that's basically like getting stuff to prepare for your trip. So you could pick up crew, guns, supplies um, you can upgrade your ship into a warship so it's better ready to fight you can pick up like a, a second ship to kind of go with you you can get like specific personalities like uh, special powers that you're going to take with you on the on the trip like you can become a governor or sir francis drake himself the admiral all of these have an impact on the actions you're going to take down the line and then when you're finally ready to set sail, you're going to go to these various different locations, utilize all these goods that you picked up, and as I mentioned before, attempt to do all these various things, right? There's four different regions on the map. You're going to be trying to take out the Spanish galleons that show up in various places, um, capture the three trading posts. Um, there's towns and forts in each of these regions. If you capture trading posts, you get various goods and treasures, and you're trying to balance out all these different actions. It's not just like an attack game. It's not just like a pick up and deliver game. You're trying to balance it all out so that you come out ahead. And you're going to do this several times. So 
it is a game of planning, like careful planning, but also mitigating because you can plan and someone else does something entirely unexpected and you're not prepared for that. So you can't just like make a plan for yourself and hope that it works. You have to be ready for things to kind of go wrong along the way. So it's a lot of fun. It's very carefully constructed. And one of my favorite Eagle Griffin games that nobody really talks about anymore, despite all the hype that it had when it first came out. So that is Francis Drake. And finally for me on the heavy side or on the epic side is probably one of the most epic board games of all time in scope and just massive back in the day how these games were just so huge and they were filled with miniatures and wonderful artwork and gameplay that really just reflected the gaming industry the best way possible. Uh, this game is, of course, Defenders of the Realm. Its designer is Richard Lanius. The artist is Larry Elmore. You know his work from literally everything in, in fantasy. And basically what you have here is everything you ever thought about playing as a board game from all of your old school RPG days. We talked earlier about games we'd like to see reprinted, recreated, revised, new implementations. Defenders of the Realm obviously would just blow up. But as the game is currently, and all of its recent Kickstarters for the additional elements came out, this game really is a moment in history. It's a moment in gaming. It's a moment in time. And basically what you're doing is it's a co-op game, but it's not the usual co-op game. It utilizes a lot of the pandemic mechanics. And the idea is that you have these four different sinister races that are rushing their way down to your monarch city and you and your heroes. And again, you could play this four players and then there's expansions and such you get to defend the city. So what you do is, of course, you travel around this fantasy land in order to interact with all the different villages, fight off the minions, and then eventually take down these massive generals. What's really great about this game was that not only was it a co-op game, so you did get to enjoy having your friends together at the table, and not only was it utilizing one of the best mechanics in board gaming, the pandemic mechanic, where you are dealing with this ai deck that's getting constantly constantly closer to you throughout the way but also you got to play a real individual character you really got to play something from the fantasy genre that you always again wanted to play at the board game table so all of the classic tropes are here all the classic monsters the dragons the orcs all of those things are here and available but you got to take your adventure on their own adventure and build up that person's special abilities, uh, go to inns, hear about secrets, travel, special ways and such, and gain enough cards, enough special abilities to put together so that when you did face down those massive generals, you got to roll dice in order to see if you could hit that baddie. So again, it goes back to the RPG days. And it's honestly been one of the funnest games of all time. Those dice rollings and how it comes down to those final hits matters so very much. And it's really a lot of fun. Again, it is somewhat still a product of its time. But if you, in fact, are a product of its time, I think you would really love Defenders of the Realm. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table.